Sweet. We are live on Instagram, and we are recording on the mics. Oh, man. This was kind of a chore to get this episode prepared. Um, just, I was afraid of uh, waiting too long or wait or recording too soon with just the, um, at the rate of news developments and changes in the industry are coming out. Um, it was, uh, it was tough to gauge when to record this episode and when not to record this episode. Um, but I am really glad that I decided to record today because two really big things are going down in the film industry right now. It's kind of scary. It's kind of sad, but it's stuff we got to talk about. Um, but don't worry. I have some good news, some fun stories that I'm going to share with you guys today. Um, and instead of talking about what we're going to talk about, let's just get right into it. This is the Vince Salerno Podcast, episode 46. On today's episode, we're talking about Matt Reeves' The Batman. Finn Wolfhard is going to star in Jesse Eisenberg's directorial debut. He's directing. And a fan-made Back to the Future Part 2 hits the web. Also, we're continuing our discussion from last week's episode about the effects the, the coronavirus has on the film industry. Sit back and relax, because the Vince Lionel Podcast starts right now. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Vince Lerno Podcast. This is episode 46. We're recording this on a Thursday, April 9th, 2020. I'm your host, Vince Lerno, just a filmmaker, talking films. And uh, the benefit of you Instagram listeners, uh, or watchers, I should say, uh, watching live, is you get to see me do all my mess up and flubs and restarts. You podcast listeners don't have the joy of listening to that stuff or seeing that stuff, so... um. That's why you got to get on Instagram and check the stuff out. So as I hinted at, we have a lot to talk about in the film industry. I've been doing a lot of research for this episode and trying to really prepare my stuff for it. Um, Last week's episode was um, kind of, it was a while ago. It was about a month ago. um, And we were just getting into the immediate effects the coronavirus had on the film industry. Now we're getting way more um way more like movement in terms of what the film industry's response is what they're doing what they will do and the possible scary outcome of the coronavirus obviously we're live on instagram as well we have uh last week's guest uh watching kate mcdonald my girlfriend hey babe (laughs) gotta support your loved ones (laughs) um thanks babe for tuning in so, um, yeah, a lot's come out. A lot of it really hard to talk about. A lot of it um, may be good. So we'll see. Uh, I did not want to do this episode, though, without talking about some good stuff that has been happening in the world of movie news. Um, so we have some stories. They're brief. They're not as extensive as I'd like them to be. Um, but I did want to, you know, as John Krasinski is out there doing the some good news thing uh, that he's doing. I, I love that stuff. It's amazing if you haven't checked it out. Um, he's released two episodes, I think, and they're, they're great. 
anyways, kind of following in his footsteps, I want my podcast to um, cover these difficult topics, but also be able to discuss uh, good things that are happening. Um, and one of them that I'm really excited to talk about is this interesting new um, Back to the Future fan film that is um, made out of, uh, made through the um, restrictions of the coronavirus. It's a really interesting story that I can't wait to get into it more. Uh, but let's get on with the show, keep going at it. So first off, as always, we're going to talk about what have we watched? For those of you who are new to the podcast, this is where we just talk about um, what we've watched. It can be movies, it can be TV shows, we just have to have watched it and have to have had an emotional response to it. That's all that's required, pretty simple. Uh, I've been plowing through quite a few Bond movies, um, trying to fill the void of not being able to see No Time to Die because... Um, Kate and I were actually really looking forward to seeing it. Um, we're in a long-distance relationship, so the plan was for her to fly out to my neck of the woods, and we were going to see a play. We were going to go see No Time to Die. It was going to be a great weekend. Both those things got canceled, so that sucks. But uh, I've been filling the void with re-watching some of my favorite Bond films and kind of um, you know, making this journey. I'm calling it the, uh, the road to No Time to Die on Letterbox, if you're following me on Letterbox, and um, it's just me going through these films and giving my full review. I've never actually reviewed or in, like given these films a lot of thought, so this time around of watching them, it's not just me watching them for the sake of watching them. It's it's me watching them and analyzing them and kind of understanding the culture of the time that these specific Bond films were made. So. The ones that I've watched over the past, since we last talked, uh, have been On Her Majesty's Secret Service, GoldenEye, and Tomorrow Never Dies. Um, and I'll start with GoldenEye because that's the one I, I'm trying to watch these in order a little bit. I kind of went out of order with On Her Majesty's Secret Service, but I started with GoldenEye. I, I saw that all of the um, Pierce Brosnan Bond films were on Netflix, so I started with the first one, GoldenEye. And with GoldenEye... It's really interesting because I don't know why, but I kept getting like an MCU vibe to GoldenEye. It feels like James Bond if he was set in the MCU, minus the erotic um, sex crazed on a top KGB agent, whatever her name is. She's, she's a little weird. <laughs> but other than that, totally MCU. Um... I don't know what it is. Maybe it's because he ha it feels like there's this like reinvigorated energy that feels like something um, the MCU would make. I, I just I just can't really explain it. But that's that's just the immediate reaction I had to watching Goldeneye. Um, and I'm trying to pull up my review. I'm just gonna read it from Letterbox. Um, so yeah, here here's here's my review. Uh, one of the most '90s movies to ever '90s. Yeah. Pierce Brosnan is a smooth, badass Bond. Sorry for the language, folks. Cover your kids' ears. With uh, with a modern 90s edge to him that was a necessary upgrade for the franchise. The locations are fun, the story is a bit more intelligent, and the action is spectacular. 
I will forever and always find Boris's catchphrase to be the funniest thing in this film. Yes, I am invincible. Yeah. Yeah, Golden, I, I grew up on GoldenEye, actually. I had a VHS copy when I was a kid, and I, I would watch it as often as I could when I was a kid. It was a fun movie. It was a really fun movie growing up as a kid. Obviously, the, you know, the, the sex stuff parents had to, uh, my parents would record over a lot of those parts or just, you know, they'd be able to copy VHSs and make copies without the the sexual parts. So I never really saw those as a kid, which is um, probably a good thing because I don't need to be exposed to that stuff. At least not at that age. Uh, Kate's going to leave. Thanks, babe. Love you. Thanks so much. She's so supportive. I love her, in case you couldn't tell. Um, okay, so the next Bond film. Um, again, I skipped over. I skipped uh, Bond films in terms of the order of watching them. But I'll just go on to the the um, chronological next one that I watched, which was Tomorrow Never Dies, Pierce Brosnan's second Bond movie from 1997. Uh, and here's what I here's what I wrote. Unfortunately, this film feels like a step backwards from GoldenEye, but not in every way. The Bond girls are somewhat compelling. One is a former flame married to the villain, the other a badass Chinese spy. Jonathan Price is really fun to watch as the sinister, news-hungry Elliot Carver, and Pierce Brosnan continues to be a good James Bond. This time around, he channels his inner Roger Moore at certain points. Overall, this feels like a step backwards in the sense that the film plays out like an older Bond film with little substance substance and more focus on action and one-liners. Not a bad film, but a forgettable one that relies on an older style of Bond film that has long worn out its welcome. So yeah, this one didn't... uh, hit a chord with me the way GoldenEye did. And I think it's because the story is just... There's no there's no real substance to it. There's no emotional weight to it. With GoldenEye, there was at least this... Um, there was the connection with that Bond had with uh, Alec, uh, or 006, as he's referred to in the movie, who ends up being the main villain of the, of the film, which I don't think we'd ever seen like a, a double-crossing like that, like Bond having like a male equal that was his friend, his his co-agent his brother in the field and who he thought died and then comes back to life and he's the villain it's kind of like this heart-wrenching thing and he feels really betrayed by it and um albeit it's not the most compelling it's not portrayed as the most compelling thing in the film um like bond has no problem killing him at the end of the movie but it still gave the film an unexpected weight that bond movies were kind of lacking at the time and um this movie just feels like they they found an abandoned script from the Roger Moore, um, Sean Connery era, and we're just dust, dusted it off, and we're like, let's just make this. Tweaked it for some modern, timey stuff, and shipped it out. Made the movie, and uh, unfortunately, it feels like a step backwards when Goldeneye was such a like explosive step forward. I think for the franchise at the time. And so the third Bond film that I saw, um, not even another Pierce Brosnan movie, I went out of order because I found out that there are even more Bond films on Hulu right now. So if you're get, looking for a James Bond fix, I'd check out, excuse me, I'd check out um, 
Netflix for the Pierce Brosnan movies, and I would check out uh, Hulu for just about every Bond film except for the Daniel Craig ones, I believe. Um, so the next one I watched was On Her Majesty's Secret Service, which was the first and only James Bond film to star George Lanzenby as James Bond. Um, it was directed by Peter R. Hunt. This movie was, I think, a really great start to a new era for James Bond. Um, it still invoked and felt like the classic Connery film. This was the first uh, actor to portray James Bond after Connery left the role. And so... Um, I know a lot of people didn't really like him because they were so attached to Connery's version of Bond, but like, he's not a bad James Bond. The only thing I think he lacks is this commanding presence that every James Bond actor should have when they enter a room. Um, I feel like, well, maybe not Roger Moore, I don't know. I still have yet to examine his films thoroughly, but, um, he doesn't really, he kind of looks like every British bloke. You know, and um, that's nothing against his acting style. He's a phenomenal actor, and he actually portrays a lot of emotion in this movie with Bond. And we see him, story-wise, actually falling in love with a woman and not just fawning over her sexually, or seducing her sexually, rather. Um, we see him actually form a connection with this woman, although he's paid to, and... Um, he doesn't really do it out of love, but he learns to love her, or he grows to love her, even though, again, they're, well, they're, there's really no reason why they fall in love. It's just the movie needs them to, the plot needs them to, so they just fall in love. But all the same, it's the fact that they attempt to do it. It's the attempt of them doing it that's really kind of caught me off guard with this Bond film, because I just wasn't expecting this kind of depth from James Bond at the time. This was the time when uh, Sean Connery was portraying the role, and he wasn't really known for giving the character much depth, much emotion. Uh, there really wasn't much of an examination of his soul. Um, let me just read my uh, letterboxed review online just to uh, kind of recap my thoughts because I'm kind of rambling a bit. <clears throat> this is an interesting film. The first third feels like a 70s indie romance. The second third feels like a Bond film dial-up to 11 featuring a ridiculous amount of women fawning over him. And the uh, third third feels like a proper James Bond movie, but matured. He actually falls in love with the woman and proposes. Albeit he's paid to fall in love with her, he cheats on her, and I don't know what makes him actually fall in love with each other. It just kind of happens, but it's a mature move for the character and hints at an attempt to delve deeper into the character's soul. Of course, this is all concluded with one of the most tragic moments in, Bond in the Bond franchise as Tracy, the woman he falls in love with, is killed in a hit and run by Blofield after their wedding. It's sad, it's sad that this storyline was never properly followed up because it could never because it could have been a deeper delve into James Bond as a character. But sadly, Lansby quit, Connery came back, and history goes on. Despite the film being kind of a kind of all over the place, Lansby was a decent Bond, doesn't really have that commanding presence, as I mentioned. Uh, the story was, over, was good overall, and Telly Savalas as Blofield is excellent casting. Love Telly Savalas, if you don't know who I'm talking about. He's probably in a lot of movie, classic movies that you like, you just don't know it, so check him out. He's a great actor. Um, 
blah, 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 compared to other Bond films on Her Majesty's Secret Service does enough for me to call it good, call it good James Bond fun. Also, the instrumental and the Louis Armstrong songs were great. So, yeah, those were the three Bond films that I have watched. And uh, what else have I watched? Uh, two more films, and we'll move on to current events. Um, I watched Cheaper by the Dozen, which is a movie that I actually grew up with. Um, it's one of my earliest memories of going to the movie theater. I believe it was my sis older sister's um, birthday, and my parents had piled her girlfriends that were over for a birthday, my siblings and me, in a car, we all went to go see Cheaper by the Dozen in the theater, and we went back, and we celebrated with cake and ice cream or something like that. I don't know. Birthdays, long time ago. But I remember going to the movie theater and just, I don't know. It was just, that was one of the earliest movie-going memories that I have. And it was kind of, fu it was fun. It's a fun movie. And, you know, sometimes you think back on these movies compared to today, and you're like, ah, oh, that wasn't that good. And I was, I was thinking about that. I was thinking that of Cheaper by the Dozen for the longest time, but then actually rewatching it on Disney Plus, uh, it's a real, it's a good movie, and it's silly. It's it's a fun kids movie, but like the parents and and the things they go through are very emotional, and 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 it's it's good comedy and drama, and it's emotional at the end. Like he gives up his Steve Martin's character gives up his his dream job take care of his family and I know like a person my age can't relate to that but you feel it you feel it it's just such a great film and also directed by Sean Levy who uh most notably known for producing uh Stranger Things and directing a couple episodes uh, director of Night at the Museum so yeah if you haven't seen Cheaper Brother Dozen in a while or at all check it out it's it's a decent film it's a great family film and last but not least, I'll try not to go into a rant when I talk about this, but I rewatched Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. Um, my brother-in-law, who's staying with us, uh, as well as my sister, um, we've been talking about renting The Rise of Skywalker for the longest time, and I was like, ah, if we're gonna if if we're, if we're gonna buy it or rent it, I'd rather just own a physical copy. So they went out on a grocery run for our family, very brief grocery run, and uh, they wore masks and everything, so don't worry, they're fine. And uh, he came back and got me a copy of The Rise of Skywalker and said this was payment for babysitting uh, the nephew, so <laughs> thanks, Lucas. Um, so yeah, we've been watching that slowly. It's we've, We're all trying to get to bed on decent time so we can get up early for work um so we haven't finished it but i've having seen it the fifth time now um the film is a a bit of a mess there are a lot of parts that i love there are a few parts that i really don't like that just bog the movie down it's an interesting case study um it's bringing back a lot of examinations that i had of the movie They're just re-examining it in my head as as i'm watching it and um you know, for better or for worse, it's out there. It's the thing. I don't think this is going to be the last movie we see in the Skywalker saga. They're probably going to bring back Ray, Finn, and Poe and do the next trilogy because this movie was such a disappointment of a finale. Uh, again, I'm not going to go into a rant about The Rise of Skywalker because we'll be here all day. But I will be doing a review soon, hopefully with my good friend Rose Dayton. I hope you're watching or listening. 
And um, yeah, because I can't. I mean, we, we've done the first two in this trilogy uh, in terms of reviews. We've done reviews for the first two films in this trilogy, and I do not want to do another one without Rose. So hopefully, uh, she can join me for that eventually. Okay, let's get through. Let's get on to some good news going on in the world of movie news. Some current events. Um, briefly, just uh, this isn't really good news. This is more. Rise of Skywalker talk. I'm just going to get through this really quick. Um, the editor uh, behind The Rise of Skywalker uh, said he had some strong feelings about The Last Jedi. Um, this article, I don't know, oh, uh, appearing on the podcast, a Mission Impossible podcast called Light the Fuse. Um, I guess this editor, she worked on Mission Impossible 3, um, and she co-edited The Force Awakens with uh, Marianne Brandon. Uh, she felt like The Last Jedi uh, consciously undid parts of storytelling in The Force Awakens. Here's her uh, quote. It's very strange to have the second film so consciously undo the storytelling of the first film. I'm sorry, that's what it felt like. I don't even feel that's true about the true about the third film. It took where the second film ended and just tried to tell a story. I didn't feel like it was consciously... I don't know. I, it didn't feel that way to me. She goes on to say, The Last Jedi, I will say this, was just a different take on the Star Wars saga. To Ryan's credit, he stuck to what he wanted to do, and he wanted to deconstruct the film and open it up to go a different direction. And that is the film he made. It's controversial, but isn't that kind of a good thing? Isn't that kind of a good thing? Um, she went on to say, I think it's really polarizing, and it was hard to know for the writer and for JJ to do with it. It's like if somebody wrote the middle of your novel. I feel very much like, in hindsight, that the last part of the trilogy needed one vision. Well, she's right. Uh, I agree. The Last Jedi seemed to intentionally deconstruct Star Wars in a way that we didn't really want with the sequel trilogy. I mean, it's sacred ground, and I don't want to sound like there's not a lot you can do. Um, there definitely is. There's a lot of different directions The Last Jedi could have taken. There are a lot of creative storytellers, creative fans that could have told that story in a, in a way that did not feel like a deconstruction didn't feel like a jumbled up mess a politically charged movie that had no real um intention of following up what was set up and what was hyped up in a satisfying way and that's my issues with the last jedi so i understand and i you know hate me if you want but i i point the um mess of of the rise of skywalker at the last Jedi because yes as as she states clearly they didn't know what to do Ryan Johnson kind of single-handedly tied everything up before it needed to be tied up and that's where I get really sad and angry about this this trilogy and, and the way it's turned out again I don't want to go into a rant because we'll be here all day we have stuff to talk about but I did want to bring those com those uh, comments up to light up to comments to light and um, talk about my thoughts on uh, on this because I got some strong thoughts on Star Wars, believe it or not. 
Woo, agua. All right. Um, next on our current events, this is a really, really cool, exciting story. Um, so apparently, obviously due to COVID-19 coronavirus, there's not a lot what we all can do in terms of, you know, coming together and making movies or being creative or just being around each other. But um, we have gotten quite a treat where a couple of filmmakers got a lot of people together, 88, well, not 88 people, let's see, uh, 300 people who are quarantined across nine countries to make Project 88, Back to the Future 2, a completely fan-made feature-length sequel to Back to the Future Part 2, created by more than 300 people from nine countries, all from the safety of their individual quarantines. I'm reading this article from Collider.com, by the way, if you want to check it out. Um, let's see. The uh, quote from one of the creators of this idea was says, the idea was to split the movie into 88 scenes. Um, oh, reads the film's description is this is what it's from. The idea was to split the movie into 88 scenes and find people from around the world to create those scenes using whatever they had on hand during the various stay-at-home and physical distancing guidelines that were in place at the time, March 2020. Each team was given one week to complete their scene. Uh, this, this is fantastic. I've seen about 10 minutes of it. I haven't seen the whole thing, but it's a real treat. And again, like I love seeing these things. Like People have done this for, for Shrek. Um, they've done this for a lot of different films, and now they're doing it for Back to the Future Part 2. And it's just so cool to, not even just for the film itself, but just to see the creativity behind these people. Um because it jumps to like animated segments it jumps to like people doing like really abstract versions of the scenes it's just it's really cool it's really cool to see this um i highly recommend you check it out i don't really i mean if you don't want to watch the whole thing that's up to you but um just scrolling through it and watching all the various um ways in which this which of these people these these filmmakers put their stamp on uh, on Back to the Future Part 2 and also during a quarantine, you know, like the main th reason why I wanted to bring this up is because a lot of people aren't, a lot of people feel trapped and they feel like they can't create anything, they can't do anything. Well, David Sandberg, the director of Shazam, he directed a short film with his, with his friends and people that were close by uh, I, think, I think it was like three or four people that shot the whole thing and they used what they had within the confines of their home to make a short film. And these people have clearly done the same thing, although to different results. Um, and using such creative, like there's people using hand puppets, people literally like gluing googly eyes on, the, on, their, uh, on their hands and doing the little mouth puppets. Um, you have people on green screens, you have people, um, doing animations, again, like abstract, uh, interpretations of the scene. Like the first five minutes of this thing are just really fun to watch because you see so much creativity from these people and, and the way they're able to take these scenes with what they have around the house and be creative. 
And so it that's just warms the cockles of my heart to see stuff like that. I'll provide the full video uh, in the description of this podcast episode so you guys can check that out. It's such a great, encouraging thing for people to do. Like, I encourage you, I'm sure others encourage you, to get out there and make stuff. Keep making films. Keep taking pictures. Keep editing things. Like, stay creative. Find ways that you can you can use the... Um, the social distancing, the quarantine, the limited resources you have to your advantage and create. This is the perfect time to do that. So I challenge you all, get out there and create something just like these people. And what else do we have to talk about? Um, I thought this was interesting. Jesse Eisenberg is going to be directing an indie film called When You Finish Saving the World. Uh, and he has gotten Julianne Moore and Finn Wolfhart to play a mother and a son in this film. Um, it looks like Emma Stone and her fiancé, David McCary, will be producers on the film. And um, it is set over three decades. It is a six-part series following three members of a family Nathan, a father learning to connect with his uh, newborn son, Rachel, a young college student seeking her place in life, and Ziggy, a teenager hoping to figure out where he came from and where he's headed. Huh, it's also written by Eisenberg, uh, based on his upcoming Audible original of the same name. Wow, this is interesting. Um, I didn't even know Jesse Eisenberg was interested in directing, let alone writing. Um, and he's a really talented actor and, uh, I think he, he does projects that are, I mean, they're interesting because I feel like he doesn't always play the same actor, even though he kind of has the same mannerisms and stuff. He always brings something new to each role. He's a really interesting actor. I think I, I haven't really had the chance to study him that well, and I'm really interested to now, um, People crap on him playing um, Lex Luthor in Batman v Superman, I think, for what he was asked to do. Not if it was an accurate portrayal of Lex Luthor, because I think we all know the answer to that. But what, in regards to what he was asked to do, he did it really well. I loved what he did. He did it good. Regardless of what Lex Luthor is supposed to be, he did a good job. Um, so I'm excited for that. I wanted to bring that to your guys' attention that Jesse Eisenberg is directing something that's pretty awesome, if you ask me. Um, and I don't know if this is, this probably is going to be some sort of Amazon thing if it's going on Audible. So I cannot wait to see it. And it's a series, so it's not going to be a movie. It's going to be a six-part um, series. Unless the uh, audio... Let's the audio series, that's the series, and he's actually going to make this into a movie. I don't know. Uh, we'll find out for sure. And uh, last but not least, before we get into some of the not-so-fun stuff that we're going to talk about, let's talk about Matt Reeves' Batman. So Batman, it sounds like, is going to be, uh, according to Matt Reeves, not an origin tale, which is kind of a good thing. I think we all have been sick and tired of seeing the death of Bruce Wayne's parents. 
even when they said we weren't going to see it in Batman v Superman, we still got a story that was inspired by the death of Bruce Wayne's parents. Um, I know that's a pivotal part to Batman, but it's like, come on. We've seen it so many times. You don't need to see it again. I feel like Spider-Man did a really good job of moving past the Uncle Ben death scene without doing it a, well, a, a third time, you know? Um, although I'd like for him to acknowledge that he had an Uncle Ben. We haven't really seen much of that, which, I don't know, it's kind of dumb. But, that's 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 a minor gripe. Anyways, that's I think what we need to see from Batman. We we know his origin story. We know how his parents died. We don't need to see it again. We don't need to see him becoming Batman. We just want to see him be Batman. You know. Also, I think we can all agree that um, the Dark Knight trilogy is kind of the perfect Batman origin. We don't really need to see that story played out again. Okay, so Matt Reeves was interviewing with The Nerdist, and he explained that the film isn't going to be a full-on origin story like Batman Begins, um, but he will address the origin of the character in a different way, saying, I wanted, to do, I, I wanted to do not an origin tale, but a tale that would still acknowledge his origins, and that it formed who he is. Like this guy, he's, a major, majorly, struggle, he's majorly struggling, and this is how he's trying to rise above that struggle. But that doesn't mean that he even fully understands, you know. That's the whole idea of the shadow self and what's driving you. And how much of that you can incorporate. And how much of it you're doing that you're aware of, you're unaware of. That's some deep stuff. I don't know about you guys. Um, I guess one of the themes is humanism that he's going to tackle with this movie. He quote, he's on, goes on to say, I'm going to pitch, I'm going to pitch the version of Batman that I would do, which is going to have a humanist bent. And who knows if they'll have any interest. If they don't, then I wouldn't do it. And that'll be okay. I was really lucky that they said yes. There's something in there that feels very psychological and very emotional and it felt like there was a way of exploring that along with the corruption in this place, Gotham, that feels very current. I think it always does. There's almost no time when you can't do a story about corruption. But today, it seems like incredibly smart resonant from the perspective of, okay, now he's getting into some timely corruption, uh, okay, whatever. Um, but cool, the origin story thing, so not an origin story, that's great. Um, but Reeves really kind of shocked us all with Planet of the Apes since showing us how, um, he explores these characters and he treats them like humans with human emotions, which is, I think it's kind of the key to any good movie. You don't want to, you don't want to portray your characters as, you know, not being, not having normal human emotions or normal human reactions, things like that. Um, you want them to be layered in depth, have depth and real. Something as ridiculous as a talking raccoon or a talking tree, you know? Like Guardians of the Galaxy. Or any movie that has some sort of ridiculousness like that. Or even, dare I say, DuckTales, you know? These shows prove that, you know, no matter what the medium is, no matter what the characters look like, if they're animals, if they're humans, if they're man-bats, these people know how to tell 
these characters' stories with real emotions, with real, with real um, humanity. And that's what I think is the difference between good, con- good, good movies and TV shows and bad movies and TV shows today. And Matt Reeves seems to understand that. Um, again, I'm extremely excited for this Batman movie. I, I'm so intrigued by it. And, um, I don't know. I just, I just don't know what else to think about except the cast is loaded. The suit is, uh, everything about this is so different from what we know about Batman. And I like that it's different. I'm ready for something different. So bring it on Matt Reeves. We're waiting for you. 2021 or 2022. I don't remember anymore. Okay, so those are our current events for the week. Let's run down that again. We got uh, the Rise of Skywalker editor has strong feelings about Star Wars The Last Jedi. Uh, The fan-made Back to the Future sequel filmed by 300 different people during quarantine. Julianne Moore and Finn Wolfhard are going to star in Jesse Eisenberg's directorial debut. And Matt Reeves says the Batman is not an origin tale. All right, let's move on to our topic of the week, which is um, continuing our discussion from last time, from last week's episode, um, which is how the coronavirus has affected the film industry, part two. So last week, we just kind of brushed on some delays and stuff, and uh, I actually took the time to compile a whole... uh, whole bunch of research that I did over the past couple weeks about what has actually been going on in the film industry. Oh, we got a new uh, Instagram. Is that? Oh, that's Paul. Good friend. Old friend Paul. What's up? What's up, man? Thanks for tuning in. Good to see you. Or read your message, rather. So um, I'm going to go into, I I divided this up into sections because it's a lot. Um, But I'm going to go into movie delays, TV show delays, I'm going to go into um, the product, the status of Hollywood productions and just film productions in general, not just Hollywood. AMC fears and that whole debacle and my thoughts and what the future could possibly hold. <sighs> it's a lot. Um, but yeah, so like I said, last week, last week, last episode, we talked about a lot of different movie delays and... Uh, the possible status of many more to come. And like we predicted, many more have come. So let me break down all of them for you and um, what they could possibly mean. So uh, Disney announced a while ago a bunch of their movie delays. So first and foremost is Mulan, the live-action remake of Mulan, which is supposed to come out March 27th. Obviously, we're way past that date. Didn't come out for obvious reasons, and has now been moved back to July 24th, which I believe was Jungle Cruise's initial release date. Um, obviously, this film has uh, is ready to go, has a big chance of making a lot of money for Disney, and so no wonder they would keep it in this year, try to bring back the movie community, um, the theater-going community, with a big film like this that is really anticipated by a lot of people. Me... I'm on the fence. I may not go see it. I'm not even sure. But if it means supporting the theaters 
especially when they need us the most, I will definitely get my butt out of my couch and go see this film. Off the couch. Whatever. Grammar. Um, next, we... Oh. Sorry, I did a typo. I put Wonder Woman in my Disney list, and that's not supposed to be there. <laughs> um, anyways, we'll skip to that. We'll go back to Wonder Woman in a bit. Uh, the French Dispatch, which is Wes Anderson's next film, has been moved from July 2020 to October 16th, 2020. Um, that seems like a good time to release that film. It's an award film, I bet. So, um, August to June is, well, wait. Oh, sorry, July. August to July, that's only a month apart, but uh, that makes room for... Uh, that mean that that's moved probably because we don't know when exactly in July, if at all, will the film and will the movie theater uh, industry open back up again from that point. Um, August is probably a good date, just again because of award season and also like, I think everyone's hoping that by July, the theaters will be open back up, and that's why this movie was pushed back. So we'll see. Tail end of July beginning of August, so hopefully French Dispatch will still be able to <sighs> son of a gun, I'm sorry, I'm getting my dates mixed up because freaking Wonder Woman is in this list, French Dispatch is coming out in October, moved from its July date, and again, October is way far out uh, and in award season when people are brushing up on their award movies, all those movies are coming out, so that is a good time uh, we got a comment from Paul. He says, thanks to this, nobody is going to theaters. People would rather be safe at home. That's why we have digital screenings at home. Yes, exactly. Um, it sucks. Uh, but I think we'll be able to get back into theaters very soon, unless, you know, this bad news I have to report um, means bad days ahead. But I think everybody will flock to the theaters um, when we get the chance. For now, we gotta just, you know, util you know, try to support the film industry in any way we can from our homes, and that could even mean watching them from Netflix or Disney Plus or Amazon or whatever streaming service you have. Um, that's all we can really do. So sorry about that confusion, folks. French Dispatch is coming out October sixteenth, moved from its July twenty twenty release date. Next, and probably the biggest upset is Black Widow. Obviously, it's not coming out May 1st like initially planned. It has been moved back to November 6, 2020, which subsequently shifts the entire MCU back by a year. So that means Eternals is now going to be a 2021 movie, not a 2020 film. And um, we'll get to that in a bit. How again? How Black Widow affects everything? Uh, Free Guy, uh, a uh, Fox Disney film will be coming out December 11th, moved from its July 3rd, 2020 release date. Uh, again, The Eternals is coming out February 12th, 2021, moved from its November 6th release date, and taken by Black Widow currently. Jungle Cruise has moved back a whole year, moving from July 24th, which is now we're taking by Mulan, to July 31st, 2021. And I think, as we all know, J Dwayne Johnson came out on Instagram to explain that situation and um, that he appreciates Disney and all the consideration everyone's put into shifting the release on this film. So it's probably for the best. 
as much as it sucks. Uh, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness uh, shifted a little bit. It was initially supposed to come out on May 5th, um, 2021. This is getting way out there. Uh, but will now come out November f- November 5th, 2021, which is around the month that the original Doctor Strange film came out. So I think that works out pretty well for Doctor Strange. Uh, Artemis Fowl will skip its uh, theatrical release completely and go straight to Disney+. Plus. Because honestly, I don't think Disney was planning to make any money on that movie at all. The trailers have been... Okay. It's your typical Disney sci-fi film, which is not saying much, unfortunately. I don't know why Disney cannot nail live-action sci-fi. They've had multiple opportunities to just kill it, and they haven't. I don't know why we have a problem with Disney doing live-action science fiction. It, it makes no sense to me. Anyways, um, The New Mutants has been taken from its April release date. No new release date has been set. Oh, we got a new... new. Per- oh, Sierra. Sierra Campbell. Hey, Sierra. Thanks for joining and watching. Um, where were we? Oh, yeah. The New Mutants. So, no new release date has been set for New Mutants. And uh, Antlers, a 20th Century Fox horror film, has been moved from its April 17th release date. No new release date has been announced. Uh, Paul says, thank God for digital streaming. Yes, sir. Or just buy DVDs. That's what I do. <laughs> um, so the Marvel situation obviously is pretty huge. We're shifting everything back by a year. So subsequently, Thor... Um, I'm drawing a blank on what else is coming out um, in those years... Everything is being shifted back, which is fine. We're still going to get the movie, so no, don't cry about it. It sucks, but this is the situation we're in. Um, they could have easily just said, oh, we're going to release it on Disney+, Plus, no problem, which is a lot of people people's predictions as to what they were going to do. And I'm so glad they decided not to do that because I think these movies need to go out to the public. They need to be seen in theaters. Um, We need these films to reinvigorate the theater industry. Um, So I am so glad Disney is not like, we don't need theaters. Let's put this stuff on Disney Plus. No problem. They are clearly, they need the theaters just as much as the theaters need them. So good on you, Disney. The one movie that has not been talked about yet or any sign of shifting its release date is Pixar's Soul, which is my most anticipated movie of the year. Hoping to God it still comes out. I swear, if it drops on, if this movie drops on Disney Plus, I'm gonna throw something. Probably a fit. Um, I really want to see this movie in theaters. I think it's meant to be seen in theaters. Just the trailers have been so fantastic. I, I ranted about it last week with Kate. Um, just an incredible looking movie about an incredibly human story. Just so amazing. So, um, no word on soul. I, that leads me to believe that, um, maybe they think the theaters will be open in June possibly. And I'm sure as time goes on, when we get closer to May, June, they will make a decision on releasing soul or not. It all depends on the theaters. Um, I guess it depends on both of them. If the theaters don't open, 
<clears throat> these movies can't come out. If the movies, if the the studios decide not to release these movies, the theaters will open to to nothing. So I think there is probably some sort of agreement being made where the theaters are trying to be helped by the studios. That's my hope. Um, I don't know if that's true or not, but we'll see. Uh, and Sierra agrees with me because she is a Pixar fan and she wants to see Soul in the theater just like I do because that's what Pixar fans want. Theaters. <laughs> um, so let's talk about Sony's uh, release date slate. Um, the biggest upset next to um, maybe Black Widow for me at least, is that Ghostbusters Afterlife, which was supposed to come out in July 10th, 2020, has been pushed back a full year to March 5th, 2021. It pains me to say that because I have, I am so excited for this film. This was kind of the big, the big like blockbuster fandom film that I was excited to see. You know, last year for me, that was Toy Story 4 and Avengers Endgame. And for me this year, it was James Bond and uh, Ghostbusters. And Ghostbusters 3, Ghostbusters, whatever you want to call it, Ghostbusters After Life, Ghostbusters 3, is not coming out at all this year. And it's so, it sucks. Because I'm, I'm so excited to see these, these old characters back. I'm so excited to see the new characters and the way they're going to usher in a new generation with the old Ghostbusters and doing what they should have done from the beginning, which is make a direct sequel to the original Ghostbusters. There's so much hype around it. I was going to buy all the toys. I was going to get all those, that, all that merchandising. Cause you know, I'm all about that merchandise, that Ghostbusters merchandise. I'm all about it. And it's not even going to be coming out. I mean, maybe the action figures will come out cause they released, um, new six inch, uh, Ghostbusters, 1984 action figures. So, maybe we'll get that. Um, Paul would like to see the movie. Uh, the real Ghostbusters 3. Yeah, there you go, Paul. I know what you're talking about. Um, yeah, that sucks. But it is what it is, you know? It's not like they're, we're never going to see the movie. It's going to come out. I have to, I have to be patient. I have to wait a full year again. But um, it's all for the best, you know? We really can't complain much given the situation. It sucks, but... It is what it is. Morbius has also been moved uh, to March 19th, 2021 from its July 31st, 2020 release date, which apparently does not affect the MCU's um, release slate. You know, like people were concerned like, oh, is this going to affect the the timeline of the MCU or anything? Because Morbius is clearly connected to the MCU, obviously. And they reported, nope, don't worry about that. We're going to be fine. So... Morbius looks like a fun film. I don't really have much to say about it except that it's a Marvel movie and I'm going to see it because it's MCU. So, duh. And Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Um, back up to the top where I accidentally put Wonder Woman in the list for Disney. That movie has been moved. Uh, it's a third time now, which is shocking. I think it came out, it was supposed to come out in December of last year. It was moved to June of this year and now it's being pushed up to August 14th of this year, which again, hopefully the theaters will be open by late July, early August. I'm excited for Wonder Woman part two. Uh, I really liked the first film and the second film looks awesome. It's set in the eighties. So you initially, you immediately have me hooked anything in the eighties. I'm going to go see, I mean, you know, stranger things fans. So it's a given. 
Um, not much to say on Wonder Woman, just the film looks great. I can't wait to see it, and hopefully it does come out, because the poor thing has been delayed multiple times, much like New Mutants. It feels like those two films are cursed, so let's hope the curse lifts. Okay, I'm going to breeze, breeze through these next couple uh, movie delays, so... Fast 9, the Fast Saga has been delayed from April 2nd to May, or for, has been delayed to April 2nd from its May 2020 release date. That's April 2nd, 2021, so by a whole year, although that was reported on much earlier. Uh, obviously, we know No Time to Die coming out November 25th, 2020, uh, moved from its April 17th, 2020 release date. Candyman has been moved from September has been moved to September 25th, 2020 from its June 12th, 2020 release date. Top Gun Maverick will come out December 23rd, moved from its June 24th release date. Minions has been moved uh, from its July 3rd release date. No new release date is set. A Quiet Place Part 2 will come out on Labor Day weekend, uh, moved from its March 18th release date. Uh, Spiral, the new Saw sequel, has no new release date announced. It was moved from its May 15th 2020 release date. Same with Scoob, that was supposed to come out the same day as Spiral. Uh, it has been re uh, moved from its release calendar. We don't know when it's going to come out. Same deal for In the Heights, which was also going to come out, uh, not also, was going to come out on June 26th and has no new release date as of yet. So that's what's going on in movies currently. And I'm sure there's a bunch more that I'm forgetting that are not as well known, but <sighs> movies are getting delayed at least until july august or june july so we'll see what happens in regards to that okay uh there there are way too many tv shows that have been canceled or delayed to even count um in terms of tv in terms of broadcast tv shows over over 50 shows have been delayed or put on hold it's including tonight show young sheldon Law and Order, Last Man Standing, Jimmy Kimmel Live, Grey's Anatomy, The Goldbergs, God Friended Me, uh, Chicago Fire, Chicago PD, Chicago Med, Claws, Empire, All Rise, The American Race, The Bachelorette, The Bachelor. I, there's too many to count. It's just a ridiculous amount. Uh, in terms of cable shows, there are over 30 shows that have been uh, delayed or canceled. Atlanta, Barry... Snowpiercer, Succession, Snowfall, uh, The Queen of the South, uh, Impeachment, American Crime Story, Fargo, Euphoria, Fear the Walking Dead. Uh, in terms of streaming shows that have been canceled, over 30 for that as well. Uh, Glow for All Mankind, Carnival Row, um, Little America, Loki, of course for... Disney Plus, Marvel, Russian Doll, Prank Encounters, um, Stranger Things, WandaVision, Wheel of Time, The Witcher. Uh, in terms of syndication, only eight shows have been canceled or delayed. That's Dr. Oz, Dr. Phil, The Ellen Show, Family Feud, Kelly Clarkson Show, The Mel Robbins Show, Tamara Hall, and Wendy Williams Show. Internationally, over 10 films have been delayed or canceled. 10 films, 10 shows have been delayed or canceled around the world in 80 days. Baptized, Britannia, Casualty, Celebrity, Doctors, EastEnders, The Great British Bake Off, um, 
Holby City, Line of Duty, Love Island, Neighbors, and Peaky Blinders. And there is only one show out of all of these that have resumed production, and that is Tuning Out the News, which is a cartoon uh, spoof on news. It takes real-life news clips and real news and reports on it with cartoons. It's kind of dumb, but whatever. So that's what's going on in TV and movie delays a lot. Crazy amount. I will provide... Um, the full list um, in uh, I'll pr- I'll link to the full list in the description of this podcast episode. Um, so I read a, so in terms of uh, production shutdowns, obviously all of Hollywood has shut down their productions. Nothing is going on in terms of that. There is one um, area that I read up on in an article that I really wanted to bring to light. It's something we don't really talk about in terms of the film community, and that's local films local film shooting areas and this article that i found is covering wilmington north carolina and it's talking about the momentum in the film industry in north carolina um was regained in 2019 they i guess it was a really struggling film community and they were able to regain it and there was all this hype build up to people getting jobs and people getting to be creative and collaborate and go and work on film sets and now all of that is at a standstill so let me delve into this article uh really quick uh the director of the wilmington regional film commission john griffin said that uh this is different from hurricane hitting the coast or state legislation quote this is not a unique situation to us so we are certainly looking to see what other states are doing, what the industry is doing, and it's too early to, it's still too early. Nobody knows. Uh, so in 2014, um, again, I'll provide the link to this article in the description of this podcast. You guys should really check it out. It's a really great article. In 2014, state legislators took away tax incentives that hurt the film industry. Governor Roy Cooper brought back the grant program, causing 2019 to be the best year for the industry since the cuts. The state brought in $100 million more last year compared to 2018. That's incredible. Uh, Griffin said about five shows were on schedule to come to Wilmington before May to shoot pilot episodes. This was all before social distancing guidelines. He says, and I quote, "Will will Will they delay the start of the new television season? Will they take certain projects they have that they believe in and go straight to series with them instead of doing pilots? Will they renew existing series that were maybe thinking of being canceled, but it's easier to make to maybe keep them going forward than to start a new series? That's one of the questions he's asking. It's, it's just too soon to tell is what the article is getting at. Um, the people are apparently optimistic. Um, Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting article. There's a video attached to it as well. Um, it just really highlights local... Exactly, thank you, Paul. Local independent filmmakers. Um, and those people getting a chance to work on big network shows. Um, so like, like because of these grants and these tax incentives, people are able to, co- to go to these, these states and these, these towns and these cities and work on films and, and receive incentives and it's cheaper to shoot there and it provides a great boom for the community 
and the filmmakers there that want to work on shows, get notoriety, all that stuff. And uh, Instagram just ended, so I think I'm going to uh, share that video, and I'll jump back onto Instagram in just a second. Let me take care of that. Come on, people. Let's get back on Instagram. And we're live again. Cut out, guys. It was an hour. Uh, we were, Yeah, we're past an hour, so that's why that um, cut out. But we're back for the remainder of this episode. So, um, yeah, and the fact that, the, again, the coronavirus is affecting the fact that these these communities can't, don't have that opportunity anymore. And it sucks. It's really sad. Um, but, again, that's where I say it's a challenge to us to stay creative, to keep creating content, to keep finding ways to be the filmmakers we are meant to be with the resources around us. And I think that, as I always say, is the true sign of creativity is working with your limitations and turning out the best thing you can possibly create. So again, I know things suck, but I challenge you guys to do that. If you're filmmakers, if you're creative people, stay creative and find a way to keep doing what you're doing. Um, so that was one thing I wanted to highlight that story. It was just really cool to hear about a niche, uh, Wilmington, North Carolina, and the fact that they're their film community like hit this unexpected boom and they came back in 2019 that's so awesome and now because of this they can't go back to work people can't go back to work and that's really sad really sucks um and so here's some of the big stories that have come out that i wanted to talk about these are really big and kind of Hard to talk about, honestly, but I'll do my best. <clears throat> so it was announced today, the, uh, um, I believe the original source was Variety. Um, we're going to go with that Variety, I believe. This is the article I have pulled up. That AMC Theater's bankruptcy is likely, says analysts. So it was reported today at uh, 9, 10 a.m., and it was reported uh, today by MKM Partners anal analyst Eric Handler, uh, based on our view that theaters will be closed at least until August and our belief that AMC lacks the liquidity to stay afloat until that time. We expect that we expect the community will soon be faced with filling, filing for bankruptcy. And the stock apparently is um, downgraded from neutral to sell, which I can assume just means gotta sell that stock. Um, so AMC has a reported $265 million in cash and equi equivalents on hand, plus $332 million available via lines of credit as of December 31st, 2019. Um, And it seems like, from, based on that, they're financially flexible. Um, let's see, he continues to say, we believe the company's monthly cash burn rate in a no-revenue environment is running at $155 million per month, which likely keeps AMC li liquid until June-July. Um, let's see, Paul says, now... 
I now live in an area where a lot of films are filmed, not just at a standstill. Just recently, they have a film crew in my area that were filming in Main Street for local businesses. Oh, what's uh, where are you at, Paul? And um, what do you know what they were filming? I'm, I'm interested to know what that was. Interesting. I don't know if they should be filming, but hopefully they're getting paid. I don't, I don't know. That's just I just don't know anything about that. Um, so I bring this up because, man, I don't want to live in a world where we don't we don't have movie theaters. Um, I know a lot of people who work in movie theaters. Running movie theaters is their job, their life. And it's really sad to think that those people, the business that they are in, will be extinct possibly from all this. It's just... I want to. I don't want to live in a world without movie theaters. I know people say like, "Oh, there's hope. Like people will flock back to the theaters uh, when this whole thing blows over." But I mean, it's just hard to tell with AMC like losing money. Like seems like every day, and I don't know if that's just simply because they don't have the revenue coming in because everything's at a standstill. So I don't know where they're losing money if they're even spending money. If they're not. I understand that, but um, I, I mean, I, I'm assuming it's just because everything is at a standstill that we can't have this. <sighs> it sucks. It really sucks. And it really, it's painful to even talk about for me, honestly, because I have such a love for going out to the movie theaters. I see, I see movies in theaters maybe like five or six times a month. I love it. it. There is nothing more incredible to me than going into a dark auditorium with complete strangers, watching a film that can unite us all, making us laugh, making us cry, making us just react in the same way. It's such a powerful experience. That's what I love about film. It brings people together in ways that we, we don't expect. Um... So, I mean, I think th other theater chains seem to be doing okay-ish. We don't hear them in the news headlines, just AMC. But AMC is like <clears throat> AMC is like the McDonald's of fast food. It's like the one of the biggest theater chains on the planet. And the fact that they're, they may be going bankrupt and possibly out of business, like this is, this is like blockbuster closing sad. And I hope to God this is not going to be the case. We're going to be having to say goodbye to AMC because um, not only will it just suck because I want to see these movies in the theater, I don't want theaters to go away, but so many people are going to lose their jobs, their livelihoods, like their world because their theaters are closed. And that's really that really sucks. Okay, Paul said he's in Black Hill, South Dakota. Mm, I'll have to come visit and get on some film sets, Paul. Um, ever been to a drive-in movie theater? Yes, multiple times. I love drive-ins, and I would be awesome if those made a comeback, but those aren't always the most viable option for um, yearly movie going, especially in the winter and when it's raining and stuff like that. That's really kind of a summer outlet. Um, not to not to discredit your, your suggestion there of, of drive-in theaters. Um, obviously, I love drive-in theaters. It's great, great. But 
I don't know if that's going to be something that can just replace auditorium theaters, you know? So, um, but if this means the, the, the return of drive-in theaters, more power to it. I just bumped the mic. I'm sorry. <laughs> so yeah, that's all I'm going to say about that article. You guys can check it out in the link below. And literally like five minutes before I was about to record this, or maybe a longer than that, like 10 minutes before I was about to record this, I got this article that Disney is, well, no, I guess actually this article came out like, oh my gosh, like a while ago. <clears throat> Disney furloughs hit film labels, including Marvel and Lucasfilm. This is where things are getting serious, guys, because now this is hitting, this is hitting big companies. And it, that ain't fun. So the article um, originally pro reported by The Hollywood Reporter. I'm reading this from Variety. <clears throat> and it says, Beginning on Thursday, staffers at labels like Marvel, Lucasfilm, Pixar, and Searchlight, uh, that's Fox Searchlight, uh, and more, were notified of furloughs, primarily impacting staffers who cannot perform their job duties due to ongoing shutdowns related to coronavirus pandemic. Marketing and distribution departments were affected, one insider said, as Disney's film release calendar has been upended by the mass closure of movie theaters across the country. A time frame for furloughs, which differs from a layoff in that employees retain benefits like health care, was not immediately clear. Uh, let's see, what else are they saying? Disney is obviously not alone in the situation, as they say. Lionsgate cut uh, its theatrical distribution department. Uh, Hollywood's talent agencies have also been greatly impacted, slashing salaries and laying off non-essential staff in these extraordinary circumstances. Um, Wells Fargo analyst Steve Kahal, I don't know how to say that last name, said, we've thought the value... We've, we thought the value creation from Disney Plus would be enough to more than offset declining environment for media networks. We still believe in that, but we didn't foresee this unique and severe downturn for parks. We don't think parks can get back to anything close to full capacity until testing and or vaccines are far more ubiquitous. So, yeah, now Disney is being affected uh, majorly by this, uh, having to furlough employees. I mean, this this is what AMC was doing like three or four weeks ago, was they were announcing a whole furlough of the company, including the main boss. Uh, but the main bosses at Disney are only taking pay cuts. They're not uh, resorting to furloughs yet. But it might be a good idea in the near future. Um, so now, as we can see, this is affecting everything we obviously knew that way well before this was affecting everything but this is affecting everything in a much greater degree at this point it not only just affects the release of movies and when we can see them when they're going to come out when theaters are going to open it's affecting whether these companies will even be open by the time we're ready to go back to work and the country is ready to go the world is ready to go back to normal which will not be normal let me tell you it's not going to be the same normal that you and I know and are used to.
Um, so yeah, it's it's this it just it's a sucky situation because so many people are hurting, and I mean, in a weird way, you know, some people I think are taking this as kind of a break. You know, they're 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 spending time with family, they're relaxing, they're sleeping in, they're watching movies and all that stuff. And it's so easy for some people, including myself, I'm guilty of this as well, to just say like, ah, I wish I was like that. I wish I didn't have to work or anything like that. But at the same time, hearing this stuff, it's just like, I'm an idiot. I'm an idiot for saying that. Because anybody who is lucky enough to still be working right now should be thanking their lucky stars that the companies they work for have not laid them off or are still finding ways to keep their businesses opened. I'm so grateful for the company that I work for right now that they have not laid me off yet. And if they if eventually, if they do, I un, obviously I understand as much as it sucks, but I am so lucky to have my job still because there are so many people, 6.6 million people from what I've heard who have filed, filed for unemployment. That's a ridiculous number. And the fact that this country has gotten to that point is, it's sad. It's really sad. Um, let's see. Paul says this pandemic affects not only period, but video games as well. Oh, video games, not only movies, but video games as well. Um, Paul says he's still lucky to have his job too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, good on you, Paul. Um yeah, and it broke. It breaks my heart as a as a religious Catholic person to not be able to go to church. I mean, I was listening to some church hymns on on Spotify the other day, and I just I almost cried listening to them because it really hurts to not have these things that we really don't think about that we're gonna miss when they're taken away from us. And I don't know about I don't know about everybody else, but me. I'm starting to feel that hurt now. I'm starting to feel that longing for the things that we've been without for so long now. And as comfortable as it is to work from home, to be home all the time, to be around my family, to think this would be this is going to be the norm we have to get out of this routine. You know, that's going to be hard. It's going to be hard for all of us. <sighs> but I mean, the best we can do is our best right now. Everybody's trying to survive. Everyone's trying to help each other. And that's all we can do is our best. And in regards to the film industry, it really sucks. It sucks that the industry that I love so much, that so many of my friends love so much, that so many of my friends are involved in right now, um, are being hurt by this. This hurts all of us. Maybe not job-wise, but it hurts. It, it hurts to see an industry that we love possibly go under. So my heart is aching for filmmakers, actors, actresses, the people working in the offices, the people who the casting directors, the producers, the line producers, the PAs, anybody who benefits from the film industry. Anybody, anybody who works in the film industry, even the smallest of jobs. My heart aches for you guys, for everybody, for all of us. And you know this sucks, but 
We'll find a way out of it. We'll come back. I'm hoping to God that movie theaters are still are still up and running. And hopefully we'll come out of this okay. Definitely affected. We'll definitely take a hit. There's no avoiding that. But I always believe. You know, some of you aren't religious, some of you aren't Catholic or Christian, but with God, all things are possible. And in times like these, I hold to my, um, one of my favorite Bible verses, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So I'm praying for all you guys, praying for everybody affected by this crisis. I'll try to keep you guys up to speed on the movie new, movie industry and, and how um, it's being affected. And uh, all we can do is our best. So I'll leave you guys with. And uh, let's see, what did Paul say? Yeah, Easter's going to suck without going to church. And we're, we're making do with it here. Uh, me and my family are making do with the circumstances. But it is going to suck, Paul. You said it, man. Kids will still have fun. Yeah, my nephew, we're, so we're going to do some sort of Easter egg hunt for my nephew. It's going to be fun. Um, to quote the Prince of Egypt, all this pain and devastation, how it tortures me inside. Great quote, Paul. Great movie. Yeah, that song has so much relevance right now. So thanks for plugging that. And that's all I got for you guys today. Um, that's the podcast. It's a little, end on a little bit of a somber note. I'm trying to make this as upbeat and positive as possible, trying to give you guys that that those news stories that were kind of fun like normal. But um, there's a part of this that just sucks and sad, and, and it's unavoidable. <sighs> so... But again, let's look on the positive, let's stay positive, and I challenge you filmmakers and you artists, anybody who's creative out there, stay creative. Do not be discouraged by this pandemic. Keep creating. Make movies. Take photos. Draw. Paint. Whatever you do that's creative. Act. I've seen so many of my friends still staying creative during this time and it's so cool to see I'll try to share some of those with you guys on my Instagram but um, stay creative that is my challenge to all of you and that wraps it up for me on this episode of the Vince Luna podcast I want to thank you all for tuning in of course I want to thank Kate and um, Sierra and of course Paul who's been sticking with me on Instagram for the whole time thank you Paul for tuning in um I think I'm missing one other person that tuned in. And if I am, I'm sorry. Thank you also for tuning in. And um, obviously you can check out this podcast wherever you get your podcast. Um, subscribe to it or follow it. And consider being a supporter if you can during these difficult times. Um, we're on, I'm on Spotify. I'm on Apple Podcasts. I'm on Anchor. Anchor Podcasts where I record this. Um, so, yeah. Nice, Paul says, you're welcome. Nice, nice podcast. Thank you, Paul. Appreciate it. All right. Well, that's all we got for you guys today. Thank you all for watching. Remember, 
Stay safe. Wash your hands. Wash your face. Blow your nose. Wash your hands after washing your face and blowing your nose. Stay creative. Stay positive. And stay classy. Thanks for watching, everybody. God bless. And peace out.